Hey Retro Gamers, today on Smashing Bricks we fumble around a lot on our way to uncovering the mysteries of the 1993 adventure game, Mist. <laughs> Welcome to episode 16 of Smashing Bricks, a retro gaming podcast. My name is Eddie Inzotto, and I'm here with returning guest, Kyle Stalick, head of community at Robot Cash. Hey, Kyle, what's up? Hey! <laughs> Um, that's, that's my, um, elongated hello, because I have so much to say about this game. Um, I was very excited and also scared to talk about it. So, woo, happy to be here. Oh, interesting. Scared. Yeah. Scared. scared. <laughs> okay. Okay. Any, any news with you since the last time we spoke? Um, there, yeah, uh, lots going on at the old Robot Cash headquarters. Uh, July is going to be a big month for us. Uh, I can't say much more than that because we have a lot of obligations to our investors that I got to keep quiet about, but there's a lot coming in 2023 and beyond. So watch the space. So sweet. All right. Okay. So before we jump into the game, I want to let people kind of get to know you because they hear me every every episode mm. but you know you were here once yes and here you're here again so let's get a little bit of a background on kind of the things you like Ooh. so first off i just want to ask you mm -hmm. super nintendo versus sega genesis <laughs> uh i've i've preferred the super nintendo mainly because of that's what i had but also every time i played the the genesis I, it was the audio clarity that really bothered me. And I think that says a lot about me. <laughs> it was like the color mm. fidelity, everything was better. Plus, uh, I really liked the Mario games and what they had. But I will say this. The, I always thought the kids that had Genesis, they had some of the coolest violent games because Nintendo at the time couldn't show blood and couldn't do some of the things that Genesis had. So I was really je jealous of the Genesis version of the games in some aspects. So both? I'm going to cop out. Oh, okay. Okay, both. Okay, but yeah. I'm not going to let you get away with it that easy. PlayStation <laughs> versus Nintendo 64. Oh, man. Uh, <laughs> uh, that, I had a Nintendo 64 because we, we were like one console household, you know? Um, uh -huh. But I always borrowed, a, you know, friends' PlayStation. Uh, when it comes to like, I'll never forget the moment. I think one made a bigger impact on me than the other. And I think it was Nintendo 64 and seeing at like Target and seeing Mario running and hearing footsteps and, and pushing his face around. That had a significant impact on on me, you know? Mm, mm, okay. This one might be really hard then. Okay, Xbox go. versus Dreamcast. Oh, you know, the original Xbox you're saying? Yeah. Oh, I had I have such fond memories of the Dreamcast getting that um with Ready to Rumble and Sonic Adventures, but the Xbox was so cool because of Mech Assault and online competition. And man, it was it was mo putting 
burning my discs, my audio discs to that hard drive and then playing MotoGP and having my own soundtrack while I did races nice. blew my mind at the time. Very cool. Okay, last one of these. PC versus console. <laughs> well, I work for a PC digital ah. platform. <laughs> uh, you know, both. I was going to say Steam versus Robot Cash, but I decided to not go that hard. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> uh, says the you know, don't ask me that as I have a Dota tattoo on my hand. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely. You know, I, again, I I'm a fan of all games, but I would say I spend more of my time these days playing PC games. I just bought Street Fighter 6 on PC and I'm playing Diablo on PC. So Got it. Got yeah. it. Okay. Console suck PC Master Race. Oh got Jesus. It. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> gonna get me in trouble. As a head of um, community of for a gaming company, I'm gonna be in real trouble now. <laughs> nice. Okay, now here. Your favorite console generation. Um probably the Super Nintendo made the biggest impact on me. Okay. So sixteen bit era. Yeah. Got it, got it, got it. Favorite genre of video game? Uh, as I get older, anything that it could be qualified as a cozy game that's, um doesn't make oh, me put a lot of effort. Awesome. Like people say, oh, th try this puzzle game. I, I don't want to play a puzzle game and get cozy. And that's going to segue into this conversation we have about Myst. Um, but my favorite <laughs> one that, that it's either open world. Red Dead is probably my favorite game, but my favorite franchise of all time might be Street Fighter. And you know me, like X competitive street fighter player yeah okay, okay. fighting games yeah, i would have guessed fighting oh man i'm, I'm so deep in the street but fighter I like right cozy. now cozy i like cozy cozy cool. man yeah all right maybe i'll leave off the last two that i was gonna ask go for it use no. that oh <laughs> <Come on. laughs> you're so hyped okay favorite developer or publisher <laughs> favorite one uh i think god developer it might be it might be valve is one of the favorite developers but i think mm. overall nintendo probably that's just their got it, got it. their commitment to quality um i was just talking about zelda to my wife and saying zelda's the holy grail of gaming basically and oh you just kind of know what you're gonna get you're gonna get like a 10 out of 10 game most of the time when you play a zelda game so got yeah. It. yeah okay last one Favorite game of all time? Probably Red Dead, man. Red Dead or Journey? Red Dead. Okay. Okay. Red Dead Two. Yeah. Journey. I would have get. I would have uh, thought that Journey would be a possible answer. <laughs> I have a um, okay. a framed picture of Journey above my TV. This like really. And then I'm. Don't don't you have a Journey tattoo also? I do. It was my first tattoo. There you go. It was okay. So Journey is just like. A game from 1993 <laughs> developed by Cyan <laughs> Worlds. Oh. A point-and-click adventure game. First-person perspective. Moving from static screen to static screen with a little mouse pointer on the screen. Mm -hmm. Solving lots of puzzles throughout a few different worlds or ages. And that game is missed. Mm -hmm. So... Anything more for like a general overview than what I just said from your experience with it? Oh, and was this was your first time, right, playing this game? Kind of. I played it a little bit throughout the years. Um, mm. And I remember when it came out. I distinctly remember when it came out. And I remember 
going to a PC that could play it, and I remember having feelings for it, and my feelings mm. over the years has not changed very much. Okay. More more nuanced okay, feelings. Okay. How can we say that? That's super interesting. Mm. Okay, so yeah, so the game is point-and-click adventure game like so many others we've seen over the years that have kind of disappeared also over the years since their, you know, their heyday. Yeah. But this was a big one. It was one of the first to have like pre-rendered 3D backgrounds instead of hand-drawn. And, you know, it did a thing. It made an impact. And let's go. It was released on September 24th, 1993, originally on the Apple Macintosh, made by two brothers, Rand and Robin Miller, Hmm. and their company, Cyan Worlds. They previously made three games before that, which were kind of adventure games, kind of digital storybooks, sort of for kids. And then they moved on to make Myst. And Myst was a different thing. They So they made the manhole Cosmic Osmo and the Worlds Beyond the Mackerel. And, oh, and Spelunks. Mm. They built all these original games using HyperCard on the Apple Macintosh. That was a development kit, sort of, with its own programming language. And it was basically building games out of stacks of static images. And on each image, they could program a button, an invisible button, but you know, tied to the image itself, so it made sense, obviously. And when you click that button, it would quickly, or as quickly as a CD-ROM at 1x speed could go, to the next card that that particular button linked to. So it was a lot like the internet, in a way, mm-hmm. <laughs> page to page with links. So every time you did something, switch to another page that may vary a lot from what you were just looking at, and might just move one thing on the in the picture, like a flipbook. And that's how they built Mist. But this time, instead of with drawings, they did it with these 3D backgrounds. And that was kind of a big deal. It was also the first game that they built in color. And it was hilarious that in one interview with, I think it was Rand, he said, yeah, we had a computer that we were working on, and it was black and white. So we had to hack it with a clip-on chip that made it output in color. It was uh, it was kind of an interesting process, the, the way they went through making this game. They pitched it to Activision. This was like just pre-Bobby Kotick. And they said, nah, we don't want this. Uh, stick to kids' games, bro. So they kind of stopped working with him. They got approached by Sunsoft from Japan, they eventually published the Saturn version, and they started working with Bruderbund. And they made this game, and it had to be on CD. It was one of the earliest games that was on CD-ROM mm-hmm. because of all the stuff in the game. And it kind of drove the CD-ROM era, this and maybe a couple other games. And that was kind of a big deal. They said their inspiration was Zork, the Star Wars universe, Chronicles of Narnia, and Jules Verne books, specifically The Mysterious Island. So back then, were you aware of this? 
going on and the popularity of it and the impact that it kind of had? I think, um, you know, I was born in 85, so mm. my viewpoint was very limited. Um, but I did see its popularity and later on in life, like I kind of connected the dots. But, you know, I think it was pretty much impossible to go through a store of some kind, like a electronic store and not see that mist box in some respects. Mm. So I remember that seeing that everywhere. And I remember looking at it and, uh, you know, opening it up. Those those huge PC boxes. We all have a lot of affinity mm -hmm. for those, right? Um, but it was it was certainly cool at the time. And and seeing it in motion, you're like, wow, look at all this CG. This is incredible. And, yeah, I certainly understood to some degree the cultural impact it had at the time. But I didn't know how to put that in any, any sort of context. Hmm. So I'm older than you. And... I remember seeing it all over the place in those dictionary-sized PC boxes that <laughs> held the jewel case. Yeah. Um, and I kind of knew Mist was like a thing, and it was important. Never like, and there was some sort of buzz about it, but I didn't really know much about it. Uh -huh. I may have played it at some point. Um, some of the beginning seemed a little familiar, but kind of hazy i don't know <laughs> but this was the era right yeah in in this early 90s we had mist we had some like sierra online games before that mm -hmm. and then some of the lucas arts games pre-mist and then more of them post-mist and some of the competitors at the time like the seventh guest which was still a scum game <laughs> which is funny to say but it means script creation utility for maniac mansion yeah and a lot of these a lot of these games were built off of this with yep. like all the words at the bottom of the screen and you had to like choose the word and choose the thing and kind of put a bunch of items together a lot of them were inventory based and mist was a little different not only for its visuals but for the whole style it was it was much more minimal at this point than those games it also had a bunch of clones after mist came out we got tons of clones lots of adventure games just wanting to capitalize on the oh wow 3D. look they're doing really well yeah <laughs> yeah you could you could slap some um uh cg cutscenes in some creative ways and you could blow minds pretty easily we were we were simple folk back then yeah, well, the technology was just so rapid at this time. You know, it was going yeah. from from very early stuff to technologically advanced computer graphics on these amazing CD-ROM drives. <laughs> like, uh, you put Leisure Suit Larry Six next to this, and uh, there's a a bit yeah. of a, a visual difference. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's kind of to illustrate some of the things that were going on for sure. We had though that was a Sierra game. They also put out Police Quest at that time, and then Gabriel Knight: Sins of the Fathers was the same year, and it was sort of a go between between like the Mist style and the sort of older graphic style. Mm -hmm. um, then you had Lucas Arts doing their thing. They just come out with Monkey Island two in ninety one, and Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis in ninety two, and then the same year as Mist, they had Day of the Tentacle and Sam and Max hit the road. So everybody was going hard on pretty solid adventure games that have been uh, remembered well over the years. After Mist, it's funny, LucasArts didn't produce a game in 1994, the year after Mist came out. It was like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? <laughs> it's what it seems like to me just looking over the history because they had released games every single year. 
And then they came back in 95 with Full Throttle and The Dig, both exclusively on the CD-ROM, this magical new multimedia interactive format. <laughs> I didn't play The Dig until many years later, and I loved it. Yeah, I still haven't played The Dig, and I've That's heard great. that it's amazing. Yeah, it is. So anyway, that, that's some adventure games. Yeah, definitely. It's on the list. Um, I talked about how successful it was. So they were, the brothers, I mean, they re recall talking to each other and saying, can you imagine if we sold 100,000 copies of this game? <gasps> Bro, they sold 200,000 copies only on the Mac in just the first six months. Then 500,000 in the first year. Then it came to PC and sold a million in its first year. Then by 98, it was up to 3.8 million. And by 2000, it was up to 6.3 million. So this was the best-selling computer game of the 20th century. Impressive. And that record stood until 2002 when The Sims came out. And those two games kind of have something in common in that they appealed to casual gamers. I think it seems like everyone bought into Myst, even if they weren't a traditional big time gamer, which is the same thing we saw with The Sims later on. You remember when The Sims came out? I do. It blew my mind too at the time. I like I that was one of the first games that I really understood what it's like to be glued to my chair. Oh yeah, <laughs> I just gotta just gotta make sure he's not hungry. <laughs> yeah, no. And then and then you. Oh, now uh, he's got to pee. You know, yeah, the classic thing, and then your parents look over and they question why you're playing games. Like, go back to the shooting games. I don't know why you're doing this thing, managing people. So, yeah, yeah, totally, mm -hmm. totally. I, I came to PC gaming a little late. Um, Same. Didn't have the means to play it, so a lot of the games like missed. I had to play at other people's places. You know, thankfully I had a, a network of friends that had different consoles and different ways of doing it. So we all kind of you know went to other play people's places and got to check things out. Yeah. Yeah. And it was very likely that a friend would have had this. It was the best selling adventure game for 52 out of 60 months from 94 to 99. Nuts. It got an 83% average score from game critics as reported by game rankings. Um, in the year that it came out, it kind of battled with the seventh guest, Gabriel Knight and Day of the Tentacle for different awards from different outlets but it, it took home a few. And throughout time, it's it spawned a series, a long-lived series with sequels, Riven, the sequel to Myst, it's literally what it's called, Myst 3 Exile, yep. Uru, Ages Beyond Myst, Myst 4 Revelation, Myst 5 End of Ages, and Myst Online, Uru Live, which is an MMO that's been running from 2003 to now. I didn't know what? that. What? I had no idea. I did not know that. And apparently it's an open source MMO. Hmm. Crazy. Myst was in the news. It really fueled the games as art debate. Are games art? Is Myst art? And as I said, it pushed the CD-ROM tech. And I think it definitely influenced escape rooms, which only became popular much later in my experience, like real life escape rooms. Mm -hmm. It feels like an escape room. Mm -hmm. right? It does. And uh, and I think it's still recognized today as 
kind of one of the most seminal games of all time. Watershed moment. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay. So that's pretty much the history. I, I toned it down a little bit, didn't go into super detail, but there's a lot going on. One thing, oh, I have to say this. One thing that I remember from an interview that Rand Miller gave is that he said that when they were developing for the CD-ROM, they had no idea how fast it was going to be. They didn't know what the seek speed was at because they had to work on these 1x speed CD-ROMs. And... They didn't know how long it would take to load these 3D hypercard cards from the stack because the <laughs> first time they did this, first time in color, first time in 3D, first time on CD-ROM, and they didn't have a CD-ROM or a CD burner. So they ended up working on the game, working on the game, working on the game, rendering out all these stacks, and then finally they had the game. They mailed a hard drive to Bruderbund who burned them the CD of the game, like the gold copy, and sent it back to them for them to like see if it worked. <laughs> and the way that they did it was they strategized by putting all of the cards on the scenes that were likely to be near each other and all the music that was likely to be playing at the same time as various scenes together on the disc like in the closer spirals toward the center for the the main world and then the second world they put it in another section then the next section like striations out on the, on the disc so that they would minimize these seek times so it was really a, an adventurous game development process for these guys and it turns <laughs> cool. out in a way we'll find out okay so your prior relationship with the game we covered Mm -hmm. Not much going on here and there, right? Or mm -hmm. you had feelings well, at some point? Distinct feelings, yeah. I, I got a lot of feelings. I don't know if you want me to get into it yet, but I uh, certainly can. Well, you already said they haven't changed over the years. So if you tell what you felt then, it'll give away what you <laughs> felt now. So we'll wait for a second. Uh, my experience, I think I said this too, is like, I think I played it. I looked at the box cover a hell of a lot over the years like that is an iconic image and i believe i might have played it i have more memories of some of the other scum games and like the journeyman project from presto studios that same year i played that but i was i was not a big pc gamer and when i did get the chance to try these adventure games it was like oh wow what a mystery yeah, yeah. this is a weird different way to play it's not super mario world which was two years earlier. So yeah, I, a vague memory, but almost like all the pages have been torn out of the story. <laughs> We're getting old. We'll yeah. blame it on that. Yeah. Okay, so we played it. We played it again now. Yep. Again, or for the first time, whatever. So what really did you encounter when you played Mist this time? Well, first of all, I played... Uh... The mist remastered or whatever um but it i didn't play with like the new graphics or anything so i played kind of like the og version uh the masterpiece edition masterpiece edition yeah yeah, yeah. that's what i played too so that one is the most accurate to the 1993 version so we both okay. got the og experience yeah that's what i wanted i saw like yeah. some different graphics and stuff but i was like uh you know for this podcast it's more important i play the legit one yeah. um 
first impressions, like I said, it, it, it certainly didn't change. Uh, do you want me to go into my thoughts on it? Sure. Well, okay. hold on. Let's let's first try to paint a picture, maybe. Let's paint yeah, a picture. Yeah. Go for it. We, we arrive on the Island of Mist. There's a little yeah. story sequence at the beginning where Atris, the main character, who was played by Rand Miller, in sort of, what is it, digitized video? Maybe it was blue screen because it was... They would have the videos of the characters like acting out, but they would be just just cut out their outlines and put on the 3D rendered backgrounds. Mm -hmm. And in the beginning, he falls into some chasm and says some weird stuff that's kind of making no sense about the island of mist and the ages and the book. Apparently, he there's a lot of lore to this game, right? Um, there is so he a lot of reading. he used these books to access these different ages and whatever happened he's stuck somewhere and you're on an island for whatever reason my first line on my notes was what the hell is going on <laughs> <laughs> and then you're basically looking at this you know very nice vista of mm -hmm. an island um you can click on the screen in the front. You'll walk forward. Your your first person view will move forward and you'll be closer to the stuff ahead of you. If you click to the side of the screen, your perspective will turn either 90 degrees or 180 degrees. And now you'll be looking in a different direction and you'll be able to orient yourself maybe. Um, and you walk around and you can manipulate various things like there are levers that don't mean anything to you right away. There are a few buildings you can walk into, um, some symbols on some poles and some some other stuff, right? Okay. It doesn't really tell you what you're supposed to do. Yeah. It's like it, it plops you into uh, in you know. There's no exposition in the beginning, really. It's just like you are there on the dock, and I mean, for what it was at the time, it was mind blowing the the vistas and there is really a sense of seclusion that you're the only person here and the first thing that i did was and this is kind of like how i play a lot of games is i see what systems are in place mm. what what tools do i have as the player and how do i <laughs> interact with the environments so like i'm i'm that's where my brain goes and so that's what i was doing uh walked around the island uh read all the books right away and uh, just kind of like set the lay of the land. And then after I explored everything, it's like, okay, now what am I supposed to do here? Uh, so that was the okay, process okay. that I go through. Yeah. So there's one very important building there, that library building that has like a couple pictures and all the books on the wall. And then two very special books on either side, a blue one and a red one, each with a page next to them. And you can interact with very few things in the world. You can't like pick anything up except for these pages throughout the entire game. You can't pick anything up. You can only activate things in the environment. And I'm really upset in, in a way because when I played it, I was on stream on Twitch. And I didn't want to sit there and read all the books because that's not an entertaining stream at all. But I'm super into lore. Like mm -hmm. my favorite games are Dark Souls, Demon Souls, Elden Ring. And I read every item, try to figure out everything. 
So when you read those books, did it give you a sense of history, a sense of the place you were in, an idea of what to look for, or you were still just baffled? Um, I was intrigued to a point. I, it's not my type of writing. That's, that's kind of the, mm. the hard part is it's not what I'd, the writing I'd set aside. I can see why a lot of people like that type of writing. Um, so I was not engaged necessarily. I was just kind of seeing it as, oh, okay, this is them, the developer building a world. I, I don't know what it is, but I, I see the people behind the curtain a little too much these days and i mm. it's hard for me to get immersed in a game so yeah i could i was like okay what are the standout elements that are going to contribute to me seeing to the end of the story what like i got the story but then i noticed the drawings and other elements and i was like okay i was screenshotting and mm -hmm. uh taking notes and thinking like okay i'll have to review some of these later i know because these these are clearly call outs to the player saying remember this yeah remember this and so that's what i was doing but okay yeah. i was taking photographs of my tv because i play computer games just on my tv sitting on the couch nice um so i was taking pictures with my cell phone to reference later that is decadence right there yeah yeah so yeah, so this game, there's no deaths, no lives, no continues, no restarts. You're just in the world, and you're looking for anything. What to do, what the game is. It's like you're not even looking for the solutions. You're looking for the puzzles to begin with. You're looking for the mechanics of the game. <laughs> you know, you're, you're discovering not only the story, but what the game even is, is how yeah. I felt. Okay. So when did you kind of get a sense of what you were doing? Because you said you check out all this, you read all this stuff, and then you were like, oh, okay, so now what am I going to do here? It was kind of like, a, you know, going through, what am I supposed to do? Like, what is my my checklist of stuff? Or what is the, the story? Where does it want to push me to? And mm -hmm. so I was playing, and then um, I got to went downstairs at the beginning by the dock mm -hmm. and I was starting to input the codes because it said uh the, I think the the note on the ground said count the the marks or count the signs or markers and yep. that'll open and uh went to do that entered the amount got some more you know exposition on story went to the tower realigned the tower a few times to get some of those coordinates and started you know going into that other room where you have to enter you know go to the different ages mm -hmm. and going through that and it it seemed i could see the steps that it wanted me to go to mm -hmm. and i was starting to fall out of love with it pretty <gasps> quickly oh my goodness and i didn't finish it you didn't finish okay i i didn't finish it um and i want to say uh, you know how people, when they taste cilantro, it tastes like soap? Yes. I don't have that taste, bud. This is my cilantro soap. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> so you bounced off. Okay, so the game has that main area and four different ages. How many ages yep. did you manage to get to? Two. 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 At that point, I was just like, I, I see what the plot there was nothing 
the story wasn't engaging enough for me to keep going and i have to be honest um there's no place on earth i mean i'm exaggerating here but i i wouldn't want to be more than uh escape room escape rooms are a nightmare to me i will never go to an escape room when you were talking about this is like an escape room for a game i'm like yeah it completely is and no thanks amazing <laughs> i've done over 65 escape rooms in real life <laughs> oh my god <laughs> 65 yeah <laughs> we are very different yeah <laughs> interestingly in this way yes um okay so yeah so we have this world you you see these two books you can put a page in the book of the matching color and you get this little screen on the page of the book that you open up to and you can see a person in there saying something and in each book it's two different guys and each one kind of says get the blue pages or get the red pages and you're like okay <laughs> yeah. And that's it for those. You have <laughs> yeah. the two pictures on the wall. You can click one. It makes that bookshelf disappear. And it gives you access to a weird elevator. Brings you up to a tower. And the tower has a little window in it. And a wall on the other side. But downstairs, if you manipulate this other sort of blueprint, it rotates that tower. And it'll align with each of the four significant monuments of the island that have to do with the four worlds and if you go back up the tower you see a, a a clue as to how to get into these worlds it's a lot like super mario 64 in a way with i mean super mario 64 didn't have a puzzle to get in but it had portals to all these other worlds from a hub in that game it was yep. paintings in this game it's books so you take the information you get from this tower and you go to different parts of the island and you may have gotten like a time and a three-digit number. You have to put in the time using these gears on a clock tower, then go in there and put in this number. It opens up a thing in a different part of the island. Yep. Or you get some dates. You go into the observatory. You look at the sky. It gives you some constellations. You go press the buttons on something else that match the constellations. It gives you access to the ship world. Mm -hmm. um another one you know you send voltage to the to the spaceship and then you can go in there and do this sound puzzle sound being very important in this game and the very last good. one you you like light a furnace and this weird artificial tree takes you underground and you go in there so we got the four ages mm -hmm. what's the first one you went to i believe it was a stone one the stone it, stone the ship stone ship yes yeah where you had to do the constellations and get there and you you have the water a lot of water puzzles in this area and i bounced out of that really you didn't like, like that one i i so what i did uh, i went to i went to that age and then i went into a guide because i wanted to check things out and mm -hmm. i did the the clock one uh, before okay. i went, went to the guide i went to the clock and i went oh to so the, you reloaded back to your yeah, previous well, save. I did that first. I did that first before I went to the age. And I, because I was like, oh, I know what to do here. Um, that's pretty simple. And I went to there, I pulled the levers, got really frustrated at that puzzle because holding the levers was really annoying because it changes. Like I was just pulling one lever at a time. And then I realized that I could hold the levers and things would change. And I was like, that's, 
They don't explain that. Oh, to put in the number that actually opens up the mechanical age. Yes. Over by the... Okay. Yeah, so the, the three numbers match up as 333, three, three, and you have to change them to 221. And pulling a lever, each lever changes two at a time. But if you mm. hold the lever, then if it'll move two, and then it'll move one of them. And I kept pulling it once, and I didn't realize. And, and then I accidentally held on to it too long, and it pulled one, and it was like a light bulb moment. But then I got really angry and frustrated that it didn't explain that, because I had sat there for so long. Like, am I an idiot for not figuring out this simple puzzle? <laughs> And so oh, wow. my attitudes towards the, the game. You're already is, mad at the game. Yeah. This is see, okay. I can't, this is why I can't do like escape rooms around. And especially with other people it would just be the worst time of my life. So, but so I opened a guide. Well, after that, I went to, I, you know, the observatory and matched the constellations, did all that. And then I got really frustrated with the game and then went into a guide and jumped around a little bit and just was like, none of this. I would have figured out in my own time because I don't care enough, but I don't hate the game for it. It was like massive respect to the developers. That's why I said the cilantro thing, because mm -hmm. I just don't have the palette for this. Wow. <laughs> and you beat it okay. though. I completely finished it. Wow. I, I didn't go to that age first, the stone ship age. So what happened? That was, you did that one. Mm -hmm. You didn't finish that one and you came no. out of it, then went to a different one. Yep. I just bounced around. I followed the guide and then I went to the fireplace and okay. did the, pa the pattern there to see the ending. And I was like, oh, Got cool. It. Yeah, this is, I understand what they're going for. So I, you know, forgive me, anyone listening who's maybe screaming at me for not playing it. It's, it's, ah. it's me. It's not them. It just, Got it was it. difficult. So tell me more about your experience though, because mine, mine was full of rage and disappointment. So I had some ups and downs. Okay. I uh, I mostly took right to it. Uh, I like the atmosphere a lot. the The isolation of it all, the the mystery, the weirdness, the sort of surreal but kind of real nature of the island and the places that you go. And the first one I did was the the lighthouse with the clock and the gears. And I don't remember that three gear thing having i i i just really don't remember much about it at all i just remember nah, click do this get numbers then the thing happened then you go See, over you're used to that you're used to these systems and you love it and you relish it and for someone uh, who loves it like you were like a kid in a candy store weren't you yeah yeah for a lot of it i was uh, there's a there's a specific element of this game that I didn't love and that showed up once I got to the mechanical age um, which is this weird clockwork fort which happens to be modeled after a D&D &D sketch from when the Millers were younger they Whoa. brought it in and rendered it into the game I found out there's lots of extra random stuff that you can click on and use that just does nothing it has nothing to do with the solutions to Wait, any really? of the puzzles it's just there Yo, yeah like tons what? of stuff um Let's see, in the stone ship age, oh, all the things you can play with in the little rooms, like like the little weird uh, metal ball column thing on the desk. You can open all these drawers that just have maps in them, and there's nothing really there, and then you find one that actually has something. You can spin these globes, then they light up, and they're different colors. They do nothing. See, you can no. look out the window. It does nothing. 
that that's where my brain like i'm already getting like frustrated because i would look at every single one of these things as being a hint or as a part of a like an integral thing and sit there for 20 minutes and stare at the globes and what what, yeah. what the pattern is yeah i think it's like an anti-video game in a way because in a video game and having played them for so long we're trained that oh if something does a thing yeah does anything if you can touch it it has to have a reason for being and i have to be able to use it yeah and part of the puzzle in mist is picking out the things that do matter from the ones that don't matter oh my god just stab me in the eyeballs in the mechanical <laughs> age that i went to first there were three gems sitting in a room and when you touch them they turn a color and make a noise i'm like that's got to be something there's a little bird like a one of those dipper birds that people keep on their desk then you can like turn a crank and it does it and it goes back and forth and moves and i spent a lot of time in this place because the one thing that they also include is hard to see interactive parts of the background mm -hmm. and in the mechanical age there's not one but two wall panels that are like in the shadows behind a chair and if you click on that little rectangle of the wall it opens up and in mm. there is where you can find the page for whichever book you're going for got it yeah um wow that's nuts so do you think it's a cozy game then for you like did yeah okay. yeah i think it is because i was reading up a lot yeah. about this and i was um there's a rock paper shotgun article that it was called i have it open right here um is miss still one of the worst games ever and like huh i wouldn't say that because different strokes for different folks you know all that um you love it i don't uh there's a lot of feelings expressed there that i related to and i saw some comments online that in reviews where people like this is one of the coziest games ever for me it's a nightmare it's it's just one of the the worst situations that i can be put into um, is it like anxiety producing? It's just, uh, I don't know. I don't get breadcrumbed. It, I don't, I don't know what it is. Like, I just, I just don't care to escape something. <laughs> you mm. know, if this had probably like a, a story that I was interested in, in some elements, um, I might push on for it, but I, I think it's interesting for you because like the aesthetics are, are cozy. Like this, when you go in and the wind and the environment and all of the sound effects are actually very cozy. Yeah. But the gameplay, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Interesting, interesting, interesting. I'm sorry. I don't mean to take the wind out of your sails, your excitement <laughs> for this. Yeah, I'm super excited because there's just so much to it. But there's like, there's good and bad, you know? And... I found the puzzles to be discoverable and not arbitrary, which I liked. Like there was a reason for everything to me. You just had to figure out what thing had the reason to exist. Mm. Like, like for example, in that first stage I went to, there are a couple levers on a little machine and you move them and it says when you open it, it says a uh, rotation simulator. And you do it and it shows like a holographic representation of the island you're on 
rotating as you move these levers. And I'm like, okay, well, that's doing nothing, but I see what it is. And I see that it says simulation. So I was like, that means maybe I have to do this somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And there's another, there's another easy puzzle. You access an elevator, you go upstairs, and up there, there's nothing. And if you look around, you see other levers on top of this elevator. And you're like, okay, hmm. how do I get up there? And in the elevator, there's an up button and a down button and a line between them. The up button takes you upstairs. The down button takes you downstairs. After a while, I clicked on the the bar between the up and the down triangle. And lo and behold, I found that that was a button too. (laughs) And that one gives you a little beeping countdown and then takes you halfway between the floors. And I was like, I have no idea what this is supposed to do. So I just ignored it because I actually at this point I hadn't <laughs> realized yeah. that all the stuff, because this is the first one I went to and it happened to be one with the most stuff that did weird things, but didn't matter. So I spent a lot of time playing with that bird, trying to see, oh, if I, if I rotate this a few times, he turns this many times and stops. What does that mean? If I look <laughs> out here, what, what do I see? If I press these gems, what does that do? Mm-hmm. And I spent a really long time until I realized that when you're in that elevator and you press that square button, it delays and you're allowed to move. Normally, when the game does something, you're not allowed to interact until the animation happens or the change in scene happens. But in this time, you could click the door and walk out, and then the, the elevator goes down, and you have access to the top of the elevator. And then you just mimic what you did on the simulation. You turn the island, you find some some glyphs, and you put them in at the other end of the world, and you take a book back to Mist Island. And in the meantime, you can find one of the two pages in one of the two most hidden rooms in the game. So you might not even have a page when you get out of there, and I may not have. I may have had to come back here after realizing when I went to the second one that, oh, taking pages back to these books is important. I knew that they asked for the pages, but I didn't know, oh, there's going to be a page in each each world. So That sounds painful to me. Uh, When you were doing this, did you... Did you um, skip the cutscenes or the skip the little transitions between uh, actions or rooms or anything like that? Didn't know you could. Yeah, if you if you like click again or hit escape, you can actually like you know how you go through elevators and all that. You can skip all of it if you. Oh, that's okay. Cool. So I was doing that right away because the moment that I went up into the tower for the first time, and then I went and down you went on your Wonka elevator. Yeah, the walk the walk elevator. I immediately uh, clicked again and hit escape, and I you know found a way to skip it. So that's it. That's interesting. I'm just like, eminently patient. Apparently, I'm not. I'm not at all. And that just speaks to kind of who I am and what games I play. But um, and I find these discussions really fascinating too because um, the industry is so big, and you know, like sports, we have different sports that we're into, and we have different genres we're into, and I think. It was probably indicative, like if someone could sit as, as a play test watching me and you side mm-hmm. by side, they would see like, oh, this guy, he's in the first 10 minutes, he's running through to every single area and skipping cutscenes. He's not our audience. And they would just like forget looking just at me. Just ignore you. <laughs> yeah. This, well, oh this guy God. is not who we're trying to sell the game to. Um, 
but yeah, I, I rushed through a lot of it, and I, I don't know what it is. It, that's oh, wow. uh, see, I like I like talking to you about it. I'm glad that we're on this podcast, and I knew. So when I was talked about earlier that um, I I have the same opinion I did when I was a kid. Uh, I thought maybe by now, when I got to be a little bit or older, I would have patience for it because I had the same attitude when I was a kid. I was so excited to play this. Missed. I've seen this everywhere, and the graphics. Holy holy shit! It was mind blowing. And then I played it when I was a kid and it was just so slow and I wasn't in the mood. And so I played it, I think in my twenties after, and I still couldn't get it. And I played it again now and I, and I was just, I was really hopeful. That's why I agreed to this. I was like, maybe I'll, I'll be into it. And I wasn't, I like hmm. prepared myself. I got into the mood. I'm like, this is going to be a slow game brain, get ready. And I just wasn't into it. And I don't think I ever will be. <laughs> that's fine that's good actually to discover the games that you're not into then if anyone says oh this is like mist well no thank you but i have such an appreciation for uh the the developers and you know you having this patience to go through it i think that's interesting mm -hmm. okay you went to that stone ship you you didn't even do any puzzles there did you no. do any of the puzzles in any of the worlds or just to get into the worlds and once you got to the worlds that was it that was it because i I immediately saw that it was the same, same kind of like uh, not obvious breadcrumbing to the next thing, and I it, it was kind of like a, yeah, a it's the bit opposite of, of obvious. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was a kind of a slog to get to that far, and I saw that it was going to be a longer slog for me to to finish it, and I just I was just like no, but I like what they did here, and I want to see the visuals because I was I really like the visuals of this. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and the atmosphere of the games. I just didn't like the puzzles or the story. And I guess that's like 90% of it. But I, I dug the cozy side of it, just not in the way maybe other people do. Well, I think a lot of people may not have even gotten off of Mist Island. I think that's something that, that bore out throughout the history of this game is even people who were kind of into it just as a novelty or as something interesting as a as like a tinker toy for their computer in the 90s that was new and novel. They would go on a mist island, mess around with the interactive levers and change the things and maybe open a door, maybe go somewhere and then never got anywhere else. And then they said, oh yeah, mist, what an interesting thing. You know what I mean? Like, I think so, yeah. I, don't, I think it has a very, 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 very low completion rate, if I had to guess. I would guess so, too. I, I, I think you're right. I think a lot of people maybe bought into the hype and they saw the cutscenes and they got that. And It's like a Rubik's Cube. <laughs> like, everybody has a Rubik's Cube laying around. Who's yeah. finished the Rubik's Cube? Yeah. Oh, my God, you're right. Who's finished Mist? I wonder if... <laughs> um, God, you know how in Steam you can see in other platforms, uh, you can see there's actually like completion rates for certain achievements. I wonder how many people, if we had it back then, what would what would your, be your mm. guesstimate of how many people made it past Mist Island? Um, past Mist Island. I don't know, maybe like... Well, Mist, getting off of Mist Island isn't isn't that deep maybe half i think half if half. i had to guess generous i am you have, generous you have faith in is it is it because you have faith in the pc audience at the time or you have faith in humanity from the 90s <laughs> i i don't think it's either i just think that you can 
you know, the likelihood of stumbling upon at least one of the books is is fair. You know, That's it's right. fairly high. Then once you get into a world, now if I were to say, what's the percentage of people who got to their first age and never got out? Yeah. Well, I would say that that's probably like 70 to 80% of the players. 70%? I think so. Who, who never got past the first age? It would be my guess. I don't know. This is all just off the top of our heads. Yeah. You know, talking to people... You think more than 70%? Well, I'm just trying to think about the people I know that like Myst and that are big fans of it. I don't know if they've ever talked about seeing the ending or... Yeah, I I, I don't think anyone's ever talked about the story. They just kind of talk about in the context of the times. So I I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, I guess I can't really say. I would love to hear, uh, you know, the the listeners and how many people actually completed the game, or if anyone shares my POV. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure plenty of people do. It's like it's a very special, particular kind of flavor of game. <laughs> it really right? was. Like it's it's not it's not <laughs> like anything else, and that's part of its history. That's part of what makes it missed. I think. Do you know what what? Uh, really kind of made me think a little bit was okay this is the game and then i thought about wait this is the game that was on shelves everywhere and it was a phenomenon do you think it was it was because of the the new genre it created kind of or do you think it was because of maybe the storytelling or some other things like do you think Myth i think up it was the genre, the tech, the newness of it, the novelty, the the 3D environments, the atmosphere is big, the surprise that maybe people had when getting into it and then telling other people, oh, you got to try this. It's really a weird game. It puts you in this world and you don't know what the hell to do. So you just click around and suddenly the thing will happen and now you're somewhere else and it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? So like, like technological uh achievement games of the times versus yeah yeah but also certain gamers certain types of gamers are super into this obviously i know this for sure (laughs) yeah because i i might be one of them but okay so so you don't really have a whole lot to say about the actual game because you did the the stone chip age and maybe the chant the one with the trees right yeah and i I watched uh I watched some playthroughs of it and I watched mm-hmm. uh, a bunch of uh, YouTubers and I watched um, watched a bunch of people check it out. I, I saw various aspects of it and I just got, I just got so put off. Hmm. So playthroughs, I think, do nothing for this game. That's exactly it. I want to talk about that too. Because yes. the people who are playing it, are prob- they probably know what they're doing. Yes. This well, game is a lot like Dark Souls. In a way. Oh my god, what did he just say? Oh, it's come a on. lot like can... Dark Souls. <laughs> you can connect anything to Dark Souls because you're a fan. <laughs> um, no. This game has a lot... Okay, where Dark Souls has the joy of emerging triumphant over a challenge after trying so hard for so long in a sort of physical, mechanical way. And it feels just so, so, so good when you beat that boss and you you worked like like a dog to get there and fought through the 
guys in the mines and went down the shaft and the spider yeah. shot you with fire and then you came back 20 times and finally figured out, oh, I got to do this. And it, Okay, mist does that to your brain. <laughs> bold, you can be in the room. You're in the room looking for stuff or in the, not the room, the age. You can't figure it out. You, you think about this thing and you're like, wait, what if? And then you... You go and you touch a thing or you or you use something in a certain way and you're like, oh, wait, I think I got this. And you go and you, like I stepped out of the elevator there and the thing went down and went, ha-ha. <laughs> and I had an aha moment. There are so many aha moments after you get stuck. That's so interesting because I am not a fan of the Dark Souls games either. Hmm. There you go. It's, it's the... Uh, I guess trying over and over again and dying aspect I I do not enjoy I like single playthrough uh, or a fighting game where I have to learn like player psychology and frame counts but Dark Souls <laughs> and that whole genre I I'm not the type to do that um, if I could find a way to play them all without dying you know be one of those players I'd probably do that but that's interesting so there's two genres here that you enjoy and you you're right there might be some like trial and error aspect to these types of escape rooms. It's yeah, it's a it's a type of challenge that is special. It's conquering something that at first seems unbeatable or unknowable or or unintelligible and then figuring it out. And that moment of figuring things out is just like straight dopamine. God, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. And there's some like there's some really interesting cool puzzles too. Like there's sound things where you have to use sound to make a pattern and you have to listen when you do a thing and point a thing at a thing and use that number. There was a part where I did math. I like set up a proportion because I looked out of the the tower and there was a a lighthouse light at a certain degree count on the 360 degrees and then there was another circular thing inside of a hidden room and I said okay there are 32 of these nodes around this circle so 135 over 360 x over 32 360x 4320 that gives me the 12th dot let me press the 12th dot ding the lights go on and I can go forward and find the book uh, sorry, what? I just went cross What did I just do? <laughs> I, I, yeah, I went cross-eyed. Uh, do you think, do you think, would you recommend this to other people? Well, at the end of every episode of Smashing Bricks, a retro gaming podcast, we like to say whether we think the game in question is mm -hmm. more of a smash or more of a brick. A smash is a game that holds up over time or maybe other players should play or we thought might have been worth playing whether because we enjoyed it or if we remember last time you were with us that's right you said comic zone you didn't love but it was worth playing anyway because of what it represented about yes. that development that time and the the steps that they were taking and you know what they were trying to do in this case I'm going to say that Mist is a huge, huge smash for me. I'm Whoa. so happy, so happy I went back and played it. I want to go through and play Riven. I want to go through and play Mist 3, Mist 4, Mist 5. I want to do the whole series. I loved it. 
So I say big, big, big time smash, not only for how much I enjoyed it and how it stands the test of time for me and is playable today and enjoyable, but also because of what it was at the time and recalling back to that era and what this must have been like, even though I didn't get the chance to play it then. So that's where I went with that on Myst. So for you, you, I, was I, I would you I would recommend it to other people. Is the is the end? That is a recommendation to other yeah. people. I think everyone should at least try it. See if you can get to an age. If you get to an age and you're over it, like Kyle, <laughs> then okay, fine. You didn't yeah. spend that much time. It's like two dollars on Steam or whatever. But it takes you like twenty minutes to get to that part too. It's it's not very yeah. long. And you might find something that you fall in love with. There is that chance. Before I go into my smash uh, or brick it, um, I want to ask you, did you finish this within par? Like, do you feel like you, you took too long to finish it? Or do you feel like you finished it in the amount of time that it takes a normal person to do it? I think I finished it in like the top 99th percentile, probably. <laughs> um, I, well, I'm not counting like people who know what to do, but I mean like people who first see it. I think yeah. I just, I went through, everything kind of hit. There were a few points where the problem was that I couldn't see that a part of the screen was interactable. It was it was all like click, click and find, seek and find, you know, like it was that mm-hmm. door behind the throne in that uh, mechanical age. And the other one that I was stuck for kind of a while on was in the stone ship age. You're going through a really dark hallway and I mm-hmm. even thought, like, oh, halfway down this hallway, let me look to the side, see if anything is there. Nope, nope, nothing there. Okay, there's no, there's no door. Later on, I came back and I was just like clicking everywhere, and zzz, something moved when I clicked in the deep dark shadow of the screen. I was like, <laughs> well, that's trash. But even though that's trash, that might have been my brightness setting. I don't know. <laughs> it seems, it seems that they couldn't have designed it the way that I saw it because it was just like pitch darkness. So I, I chalked that up to maybe there was an issue with my my visual uh, medium. But, you know, I think the in the other place, the panel was visible and just looked the same as the wall around it, and that's kind of lame. So it has some lame parts. I feel like I let you down because I don't have the enthusiasm, and I feel like I'm taking like the wind out of your sails a little bit on this. <laughs> no, 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 this is super cool. This is important to like see different perspectives and how things work. Like I said Super Mario Sunshine is not worth playing today and get out of probably here. hate that. I love that one. I, I, I thought I loved it and I defended it back in 2002 when people yeah. were saying it's not so good. And then we played it again and both of us, me and Sadie said, eh, maybe not. <laughs> Oh, wow. Mario games usually hold up pretty well, too. Anyway, um, so what uh, you got? For, for me on this one, I would definitely uh, smash. Uh, because because Whoa. even though... Whoa, shocker! I know, but I see, I'm a, I'm a student of this industry, and I, I, love, I love the historical elements. I, I love the fact that I'm on this, and I had an opportunity to talk about this game. Uh, with someone who was enthusiastic about it because I learned a lot about it. And I think any situation where I get to 
play these watershed moment games and then talk about it, uh, I relish. So mm. uh, just as a discussion point to be able to talk about it with people, it's worth the money and it's worth, you know, 30 minutes, an hour of your time. I mean, think about all the dumb things we do with our money and our time. You certainly have mm -hmm. that much time to do it just to see this really cool piece of history. And there might be certain opinions regarding its story and its gameplay elements. You know, that's neither here nor there. I think you have to look at it as like a really cool story. Like your intro is, intro is fantastic because it's, it's a cool moment that two people made this game that changed the industry overnight. And to see that firsthand mm -hmm. and to be able to play it still... That's awesome. Just do it. <laughs> nice. But don't. Wow. I did not expect that. <laughs> if you get to the, like you said, if you get to an age and you, you're like you're bowing out, that's fine. You, you saw, in my opinion, enough of it. But yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. It's, it's great, though, that you're able to kind of separate, you know, what your taste is and what you think the value of the game is. You have to. Yeah, yeah, there's so many really talented people that have done really amazing things in this industry. And I think uh, just respecting that is so great. And I, that's a, kind of like what our Comics Zone chat was about. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a little bit of here. You just got to, you know, what were they going for when they were creating it? And it seems like they accomplished everything that they wanted and they did some interesting things. So go play it. Go play it for sure. All right. Yeah, it's like less, cost less than a beer. <laughs> I mean, in L.A., everything costs less than a beer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, man. Well, that does it for Mist. I'll put away my uh, five-inch by four-inch sketch of the underground layout of the second or third age that I went to, and we won't talk about how that happened, even though there was a puzzle there that I should have been able to do without drawing it out and we'll just move on <laughs> you sh you'll have to put that as like uh an image on the instagram or something like you know well i'll tell you what anyone listening you can see all of my notes that i write out sloppily in pen on my notepad if you go to the smashing bricks patreon and join at a certain level it's listed there you'll get pictures of all my notes and all of the episodes up to 15 are currently on Patreon. And probably by the time you hear this, the missed one will be there too in a Patreon-only post. Nice. So you can see my wacky notes and get an idea of what I was thinking. They might be one page. They might be five pages. Who knows? They might have random things on there, like how much a, a bunch of patio stone will cost me at Lowe's because I needed a piece of paper. <laughs> and there's a sketch on the side that says that. But they will have information about the games as i was playing um so that's one thing that you can see good idea kyle <laughs> how'd you come uh, up with that <laughs> um so that's one place that anyone listening can go to if you like the show you can also check out our social media mostly i want you to look at instagram over the next few days because next episode's game and guest is a secret and will be revealed on Instagram in the next few days. When it is out, I invite you all to play along, find the game, play along, and write in with your thoughts on that game or this game or a game from the past, either via email, which is smashingbrickspodcast at gmail.com, or on the Discord, 
that I have for the podcast community. Um, you can find all of the links to everything at linktr.ee slash smashing bricks. That's linktree slash smashing bricks. And that'll that'll take you to every link, to every social media, to the Twitch, to the Instagram, to the YouTube, to the Discord, to the Patreon, everything. And um, also to, speaking of upcoming games, to the Smashing Bricks retro games list, which has a list of tons of games that you can say, hey, it would be great if you played that, or hey, you're missing this game, you should put it on the list, and I'll put it on there. I mentioned the Discord server, it's small, but it's continuing to grow, so get over there, join up, talk about the games, there's space for the current game, there's space for the previous game, there's space for talking about the pizzas you've been making in your outdoor pizza oven that you just bought, like me, and, you know, whatever. Talk trash about anything, it's great. That's about it. Anyway, Kyle, thanks so much for coming on. I'm sorry I, I put you through this playing Mist. Oh, no, no. I love it. I relish. <laughs> no, no, no. I relish every minute of it. Thank you for having me, as always. Looking forward to the next one. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Uh, if if we could find a game that you're going to like. No, dude. No, I, I, will, I will play maybe the next one to completion if it's not Mist. Okay. <laughs> Last episode was all the Street Fighter 2s, and I didn't have you on, so I'm a jerk. You don't want me on that one. I'm just going to gush. Uh, it would be really interesting, though. Maybe we'll do Street Fighter 3. I don't know. There you go. We'll see. Anyway, <laughs> again, thank you so much. Thanks, everyone, for listening. As always, I'm Eddie Zotto. This is Smashing Bricks, a retro gaming podcast. And until next time, may the nostalgia be with you. Mm-hmm.